So uh, last couple of weeks, Mike and James have been preaching on Romans up to this point. And uh, today, coincidentally, we're on the same verse. That was the memory verse challenge. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so if we were to sit down and I was to ask you to write down a specific sin that gives you the most trouble. You know, everybody has something that they struggle with. Uh, we might get some, you know, they, they struggle with anger. Uh, or they struggle with uh, lust or lying or greed, materialism. Well, you might even have some entries on jealousy, hatred, gossip, laziness. Um, uh, <laughs> we may even get gluttony in there. I thought that was kind of an appropriate one to add, considering we just finished with Thanksgiving. Um, but I wonder how many people would list out pride. You know, um, that would be, personally speaking, that's one that I struggle with a lot. Uh, I have a very competitive nature, and as such, pride goes right with that. Um, it really ought to be at the top of our list because, according to C.S. Lewis, it is the root of virtually every other sin. If we get angry, we, uh, it's because we didn't get our way, and... The truth is, we don't like how God is dealing with it. Um, the root of such anger, anger is pride. If we lust, it's because we imagine that we are so sexy that the woman has to have us, and she is there simply to satisfy our selfish desires, apart from a committed, loving relationship. We want to use her, not love her. Pride is at the root of such lust. Um... C.S. Lewis goes on to say, talk about in, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, The Great Sin. After mentioning that pride led to the devil's downfall. And he goes on to say, pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. He contends that pride is a sin and that we be very much aware of and dislike it when we see it in other people. Most of us are blind to ourselves. Regarding the spiritual pride, he offers this test. Whenever we find our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted upon, not by God, but by the devil. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. So I bring up pride because that's where Paul's going with this particular passage. He says, where then is boasting? But that leads to some questions. Why does he bring up boasting here? Why does he ask a string of question, other questions? Why didn't he just end the discussion with justification by faith in verses 3, 26? So before I address these questions, let's give a brief overview of the verses. So most commentators understand that Paul is addressing three main issues here. Justification by faith alone excludes all boasting. He addresses the fact that there is one God, means that there is one way of salvation, justification, justification by faith for all people. Three, justification by faith does not nullify the law, but rather establishes it. 
I'm going to go a slightly different than the majority and suggest that there's actually two real points there, and that's justification by faith alone takes away all grounds for boasting and is the only doctrine that truly establishes God's law. In 3:27 and 28, he contends that justification by faith alone takes away all grounds of boasting about keeping the law for salvation. He shows that justification by faith alone takes away, away any grounds of boasting and that one's religious rituals as a basis for salvation. Our rituals do not save us, okay? Only God's love does. He states in 331, then doesn't justification by faith nullify God's law? He replies, may it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. But let's come back to a couple of questions. Why does Paul bring up the boasting and these other things here? First, we must understand that he is still aiming at the religious Jews. This entire section here, he's just pretty much taking aim at the religious Jews and what they're believing in. He says, if you, if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, he's talking to them indirectly at that point. He goes on to hit them with their religious hypocrisy. In 2.23, he says, You who boast in the law, though you're breaking the law, do you dishonor God? He answers a lot of questions with questions, you'll notice. Later on in Romans, we go on to deal further with boasting in 4.2. This is for a later sermon, but he talks about how um, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So why does, why does Paul hammer on this theme of boasting? I suggest it's because Paul knew from personal experiences and from what things that he had seen how deeply embedded our fallen hearts are with pride and that he wants to take some credit for our own salvation, uh, basically for our own Savior. We're our own Savior is what they're believing. Even if we acknowledge that God is the primary agent of our salvation, we're still prone to claim that we had something to do with it. In 1991, those of you basketball fans will get this a little bit more, a uh, basketball player by the name of Stacy King was playing basketball with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was at the height of his career at that point. Uh, those of you that don't know Michael Jordan, um, he was one of the greatest basketball players to ever live. On that particular night, um, they interviewed Stacy King, and he says, I will always remember this night as the night that Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points. Michael Jordan scored 69. He scored one. So uh, that's him trying to, to be on Michael Jordan's tailcoats. We're often serious when we try to take some credit for our own salvation. God must have seen something in me to cause him to choose me to save me, right? No, it doesn't work that way. If we understand the doctrine correctly, it deflates our pride. And it does not nullify God's law, but rather establishes it. So my first point here that I want to make is that justification by faith alone takes away all grounds of boasting about keeping the law for salvation. See, up until that point, the Pharisees felt if you kept with the law, then you were righteous, okay? 
Have any of you ever gone through and read the Levitical law? Holy moly. That is incredible. How in the world would you do that? It's impossible. In verse uh, 27, 28, it says, Where then is boasting? Is it, it is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So the Jews boasted in the law, and they talks about it in 2.23. Uh, the Pharisees especially pride themselves in keeping that law. Um, they fasted as they should. They prayed at the required times. They observed the Sabbath, which I'm highly jealous of. Uh, they carefully washed themselves according to the prescribed rituals. Do you know they even tithed their spices? So I can just kind of see this one, you know. One salt for God. One, two, three, four, five grains of salt, or nine grains of salt for me. One pepper for God. Nine, you know. Think about that one. They were such detailed like that. Paul himself, before his conversion, took great pride in his religious background. Um, how did he put it? He put it that, where to go, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as the righteous, which is in the law, found blameless. He found himself blameless. He was trying to justify himself at that point. You know, and just to make sure we're clear, justifying is making right in the sight of God. That's what the word justified goes on to say, means. He goes on to say that, we, that when he met Jesus Christ, he counted all of those things to be dung or rubbish so that he might gain Christ, adding that he may be found in him having, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but which is through faith in Christ in righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the same point that Paul is hammering in at this point. Um, if we are justify, justified by faith alone, apart from any human works, then we have no grounds for boasting. How can we boast in what someone else has done? We can't boast in our morality as the reason why we're right with God, because even if we have an outward uh, appearance of righteousness, we still have some deceit and sin in here. One of the, one of the greatest illustrations I've seen of this, um, do you guys know what an Aston Martin car is? You guys ever seen one of those? They're about a $250,000, $275,000 car. Um, it's one of my favorite cars. Those of you who have ever seen James Bond movies, he always drives an Aston Martin. Um, all that to say, I saw an Aston Martin one time that was, had a silver uh, finish on it, nice and shiny, dark tinted windows, perfectly polished chrome bumpers and wheels. It just, it was the epitome of a 007 car. Okay, just absolutely loved it. And then the person opened up the door and it was full of trash. The person who owned that was a diagnosed hoarder. Have you ever seen a hoarder's car? It was disgusting, nasty. But from the outside, it looked great. The inside, 
not so great. Don't be that person. Be the person that has the righteous heart. We get that by faith in Christ. We can't boast in our religious observances by a means of salvation. Okay? Um, that's, oh, being from the South, everybody's from a church. Oh, oh I, I go to my granny's church, therefore I'm saved. Um, I got baptized when I was a baby, so I'm saved. Uh, I, I do a snack once a month at church. They call it communion, I think. None of those things earn you points towards heaven. None of those things get you into heaven. The same thing is of spiritual knowledge. I've known people that know the Bible so much better than I do. I have a horrible memory when it comes to things like that. I can remember stupid things. Like, did you know a manatee has one less vertebrae than any other uh, mammal on earth? Yeah, see, I remember that stuff. But I have a hard time remembering scriptures. But having just the head knowledge of those scriptures means nothing if you don't apply it to your life. Okay? You have to be able to apply that to your life, and you have to get it into your heart. That's why the memory, memory verse challenge, uh, hiding God's word in your heart, is such a treasure. Because even when you don't think you're going to know the verse or know the word, guess what? It, it just comes out. Which is so cool to me. Because I'm like, where did that come from? Obviously from the Spirit, but still, it's still, still surprising to me at times. In fact, some even turned to faith itself as a work to boast upon. If they believed in Christ in their own, apart from his grace, as if they did. Um, our faith comes from Christ. If faith is something that fallen sinners can exercise by their own, apart from God's granting it as a free gift, even though those sinners will boast in their faith, after all, what makes me different from believers, unbelievers, excuse me, the fact that, A, I believed in Christ, or I still believe in Christ, and they didn't, but why? Why did I believe in Christ? Christians, why did you believe in Christ? It had nothing to do with us. Romans 3.11 says, There is none who understand it. There is none who speak for God. In John 6, 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws to him. No one can come to me unless it has been granted from him the Father. Saving faith is something that we can produce and can't, I'm sorry, isn't something we can produce and thus boast in. It's a gracious, undeserved gift from God. So we cannot boast in that. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. What Paul does mean when he says what boasting is excluded by a law of faith, he's kind of doing a play on words there. All right? Paul means that the, the law, the Mosaic law, understood, rightly understood is a law that teaches righteousness by faith. This is further elaborated later on in chapter 4, where Paul cites Genesis 15.6 to show that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteous. But in the context of 3.21-16, Paul is contrasting the righteous that come through faith with the Mosaic law. He leads them to the natural question of 3.31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? 
So is it better to understand that Paul is making a play on words as he refers to the law of faith? Um, he's saying it is not the law of Moses which is required, which requires works that excludes boasting, but rather it is the new law, law of faith, apart from works that excludes boasting. Did you know that um, our particular um, re religion, lack of a better phrase, our denomination, anti-denomination, whatever you want to call it, we do not require any works to get into heaven? Catholics do. Mormons definitely do. Um, Seventh-day Adventists do. Because it's faith in Christ plus works. But that's not us. Our works are a result of that faith. Right standing with God is not something that we earn by doing works. Rather, it is something we receive as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ and shed blood in his shed blood. Instead of the words, apart from works of the law, we can rightly say that we are justified by faith alone. That raises another important question. Um, is, it, is Paul at odds with James when he's talking here? Because in James, it talks about, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. This is the issue of a heart of the Protestant Reformation, and it remains a major divide between the Protestant understanding of the gospel versus the Roman Catholic view. Bible-believing Protestants affirm with the Reformers Martin Luther and John Calvin that we are justified by faith alone apart from works. The Roman Catholic Church contends that we are justified by faith plus our works, as James seems to affirm. But let's talk about that for just a second. First, both James and Paul affirm that we are saved by grace through faith alone, but each man was addressing a different problem. So you got to look at the entire context of it, not just a particular verse there. James was looking at those who professed to have faith in Christ, but their lives were void of works. They weren't doing anything to show their faith. Okay? I, I kind of camp out in that one. That's, I'm, a, I'm a worker bee. I don't like talking about things. I like doing things. Um, and so I believe that because of our faith, we get to do works. You don't have to. You definitely don't have to. God doesn't make us do anything. He doesn't make us believe in him. He leaves that up to us. James claimed that that sort of faith was not genuine, and it does not save anyone. Continuing saving faith always results in a life of good works. Paul concurs, Ephesians 2.8.10, Titus 2.11, and so forth, no one is saved by a faith that is a mere mental agreement. The faith that justifies is obedient in faith. But Paul was writing to those who taught and were to add the works to the, works to the faith of Christ in order to be justified. The Jewish proclaimed that to believe in Christ, that they must insist that Gentiles who believe must also add circumcision to keeping of the law of Moses in order to be saved. Paul called this a distorted gospel. And he talks about later on how um, Moses was not circumcised when he started to serve God. And you can uh, circumcise until later. 
He says, he also says, if you want to boast in anything, Paul says, boast in the cross. So before we leave this point, let me just kind of make some things clear. Um, one, we have to abandon all attempts to earn a right standing with God. Uh, thing I'd like to tell my teenagers is, what is there that you do so good and so impressively that God would be impressed? Keep in mind, he created you and me, the world, the tree, the fish, the water, the universe, the moon, the sun, etc., etc. So what is it that we can do that would actually impress God? Got nothing. Secondly, we have to trust in Jesus Christ alone. Um, he paid our price for us. You know, it says very clearly that the wages of sin is death. He paid that death penalty for us. Therefore, we are now justified before God. If you boast, boast completely in the Lord who chose to save us in spite of ourselves, in spite of who we are. So first, justification by faith alone takes away all grounds of boasting. Secondly, justification, justification by faith alone takes away any grounds of boasting about one's religious rituals. Okay? He says, or is, it, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. So Paul is still zeroing in on those Jews. He takes the creed of the cent that is central for all Jews in Deuteronomy. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he argues that if the God is one for the Jews, he's also the one for the Gentiles. Okay, is not just for them. Which means that he has one way of salvation. God is not um, two-faced. He is not, this is good for this person, but not good for this person. This person can get to heaven by this way, but this person over here can get to heaven this way. He has one central way for the Jew and the Gentile, which, by the way, most of us here are Gentile. Paul goes on, goes on to show God justified Abraham before he is circumcised, as I was mentioned earlier. So justification cannot be based on compliance with any religious rituals. If God justified yet the, I'm sorry, if God justified the yet uncircumcised father of the Jewish nation by faith, then it follows that he would also justify the Gentile by faith. You cannot take pride in religious rituals. So let's, let's kind of apply that for just a second. So those of you that come from a church background, okay, you, you cannot, um, I'm sorry, you cannot trust in church membership, baptism, communion for salvation. It is in Christ alone. 
Um, that's a song that I really like a lot. When I was in seminary, uh, we would have chapel every Tuesday and Thursday. And our, one of the songs that they loved to sing was In Christ Alone. And when you get 500 guys belting at the top of their lungs in Christ alone, it, just, it feels like it just raises the roof right off. And it has an amazing sound to hear so many proclaiming, it is Christ alone. Our hope is found. He is the one, uh, you know my memory. Look it up, it's a great song. If you don't come from a church background like me, I was not raised in a Christian home, uh, we went bowling on Sundays. You cannot think that you can earn your way to heaven by doing right things. Because in fact, what that ends up doing is it makes you more prideful about the things you're doing to serve God. Okay? Don't fall in that. Lay aside all your good works and religious rituals and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. God gives the righteous of Christ to all who believe. All who believe. But if a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, and if a sinner can be justified by faith apart from religious rituals, then aren't we to nullify the law? That's a question that Paul was anticipating. And he answers that in our next verse, which is also our third point. Justification by faith alone does not nullify the law, but rather establishes that law. He says, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Uh, some other trans, I'm using the New American Standard, and I always preach from that because that's what I'm most comfortable with. Uh, but the NIV and the ESV, they would say to uphold the law. So just a quick note, uh, kind of a sidebar. This is a very, very um, difficult doctrine to understand. Um, it, um, every interpreter reads the verse through his own lens of view of how law relates to believers in Christ. Having read many books and articles, uh, I would say that one of the, this is one of the most difficult theological issues within the, for the Bible to understand. Uh, it has to do with how much uh, continuity versus discontinuity there is between the Old and the New Covenants. Um, there are verses seemingly to support the ongoing validity and benefit of the law, and there are other verses that uh, basically say we're not under that law any longer, and they speak negatively about it. I just want to make this disclaimer. I am not infallible. I do not know everything there is to know about this, and if my wife was here, she would stand up and give a resounding amen. But for that to say, um, there's going to be different viewpoints on this, and it's okay. All right? key is that you are just about justified by faith in Christ. Uh, for the sake of time and clarity, I'm just going to go, not going to give you all the various interpretations and how they were established, but rather uh, I'm going to kind of roll with the authors that I agree with. Um, by the way, if anyone wants to see the references, I use a ton of references and I'm a nerd and I notate it at the bottom. So I'll be happy to give those to you so that you can follow up on this if you like. Um, so Within this particular point, there are, there are several things. Uh, there's, there's three ways from the context of justification by faith, establishing and upholding the law. First, justifi justification by law, I'm sorry, 
Justification by faith establishes the law by showing that it is impossible to attain a right standing with God by keeping the law. As I had mentioned earlier, Levitical law, there are just hundreds and hundreds of things that you're supposed to do. How do you remember all that? This is Paul's point in 3.20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For though the law comes, the knowledge of sin. The law requires perfect obedience to every commandment, not only internally, but externally, but also internally at the heart level. So if anyone is going to be saved, it cannot be by keeping the law. The law's purpose is not to save us. Rather, the law shows us our sin and that we will be assured that we cannot be saved by works. In this way, the doctrine of justification by faith establishes or upholds the law. Secondly, justification by faith establishes the law by showing that the punishment which the law demanded has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. That's Paul's point in 325, he, when, where he refers to Christ Jesus as the one whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation or um, God's wrath being satisfied in his blood through faith. If we trust in him, Jesus, his death satisfied God's penalty. Because we all sin. Uh, Mike talks about our friend who didn't believe he's a sinner. Um, do you know there's actually genetic evidence that we all have a sin nature? Yes, I'm that nerd. Um, there's one gene that we all have in common. One single gene. And they call it the Adam gene. Because... Technically speaking, genetically, Adam and Eve were the same because he created them the same. So when they had children, the genetic code should have been the same. But somewhere over time, the genetic code changed. But that one gene remained. And we all have it. So that's proof that sin nature is passed down genetically. Don't try to get out of trouble with that one. I'm looking at my daughter. Thirdly, justification by faith establishes the law by showing that God gives us, gives the righteousness of Christ to us so that we meet the law's righteous demand on him. As we've seen, justification means that God declares us righteous, but he does, does not do this by chance. Rather, Jesus fulfilled the righteous demands of the law on our behalf. One of the things that just kind of always baked my noodle I had to, this really just blew my mind. Do you know Jesus knew about the cross before there was a tree? Think about that one. Before the first words were spoken in the beginning, Jesus already knew he would die on the cross for me. Wow. Just... Because of that, now God can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 26. So after I got done preparing this, I was reading one last thing that I like to read. Have you guys ever seen the Life Application Bibles? They uh, basically they have verses in them, and at the bottom they have 
kind of a, a pseudo explanation. And basically, everything I just said could be wrapped up in this. Why does God save us by faith alone? One, faith eliminates the pride of human effort because faith is not a deed that we do. Faith exalts what God has done, not what we do. Faith admits that we can't keep the law or measure up to God's standards. We need help. Faith is based on our relationship with God, not our performance for God. I struggle with that one. I want all the things that I do to be perfect, to be excellent. And when things don't go the way I planned them to go, I'm like, oh, was this really my best effort? You know, Friday night, we had our black and white ball for our youth. Um, yeah, she's cheering. Uh, we did karaoke with that, which that's an experience in of itself to hear middle schoolers sing. Um, but all that to say, we had 42 kids that came out, and half of them were new sixth graders that I've never seen. And so in my mind, I'm like, yes, that's great. And I've been praying for sixth graders to start coming in because you have to have more kids coming in as they leave. Um, that's the business side of me. Um, but the, the thing I, I focused on was, where are the rest of our kids, our students? We have 92 kids on the roster for Club 68. About 20 of them came. The other 20-something were newbies which is fantastic, don't get me wrong, I'm not fussing about that one, but I would have loved to have seen some of those other 70 kids that are on the roster come for the sheer fact that they would get to hear the gospel while they're there. Because very few kids in Club 68 are Christian. I'd say, what, Ellen, maybe 10%? 15% of the kids? The rest of them are not. I have this one girl that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, and she's very clear that, oh, we're not religious. We don't believe in those things. But she keeps coming back. So she's been in our prayer for a long time. Keep her in your prayer. I'm not going to say her name. Um, just the young eighth grader in the white dress. Close enough. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is in Christ alone, has always been under attack and is still under attack today uh, within our society. So how do we know what the true gospel is? One test of true doctrine is that it humbles our pride and it exalts God in his grace. Not for me, but for him. Conversely, false doctrine always lifts up man and pulls God down so that we don't really need a Savior. And that's one of the, the hardest things to get across to people who are unbelievers is that fact that, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you need a Savior. Do I really? I don't do that bad things. Yes, you do. I do. One pointing at you, three pointing back at me. Justification by faith alone excludes all boasting except for boasting in Christ. Boasting in Christ. Look what God has done in my life. Whenever I talk to someone about Christ and I'm given a testimony, first thing I say is, 
I can't tell you what Christ is going to do for you. I can only tell you what he's done for me. And then I tell them about what God has done. Hmm. It does not allow me that, to say that I teamed up with Jesus and scored 70 points. That's a joke. You're supposed to be laughing hysterically. Thank you. Jesus scored all the points. God justifies sinners totally on the merits of Jesus Christ when we abandon our own works and trust in him alone. If you think about it, we've, we've tried to be righteous in our own flesh. Most of us are good people. We try to do the right thing, but it's not enough. We failed at being righteous in our own flesh. That's why Christ had to die for us. This is the true gospel. Believe it, stand firm in it, and declare that it truly is in Christ alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for you, Lord. We are nothing without you, God. You plus any is a majority. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, if there's anyone within earshot of my voice that does not know you, that you would reveal yourself in a very special way, as on, at, on the only way that they will understand it, just like you did with us. I pray, God, for a great harvest, that you would grow your kingdom that you would give us the opportunity to be a part of that growth. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.